Good morning, guys. Uh, really miss being with you, and I'm getting more and more excited for that day when we get to phase two and we can start gathering together again as a church. Um, I kind of wonder, though, uh, if when I say something like good morning to you, or if someone says good morning to you, during a difficult season like this, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about that quote in the book The Hobbit, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, when Bilbo greets grumpy Gandalf and says, good morning to Gandalf, and Gandalf says this. He says, do you wish me a good morning or mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not, or that you feel good this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on? Uh, I think that really is indicative of how I'm feeling a lot, maybe how you're feeling a lot about life. We, we might feel like Gandalf and wonder if today is a good morning, whether we want it or not. We might be confused with anything that's described as good to us right now. Uh, during a hard and difficult season like this. Um, This is a good morning, though, you guys, and I'm not just doing a sleight of hand here. Uh, In the face of all the pain and frustration and fallenness of this world, we come face to face with true goodness himself, Jesus, the Son of God. And uh, that's the emphasis of our text, how Jesus is the true and better Son. So let's read this together. We're in Luke Um, chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, and we're going to read through chapter 4, verse 15 together right now. So join me in this. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methot, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shalah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, 
command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority in their glory, for it, will, it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray right now as we open your word together as a church, God, may we be reminded of our unity that we share in your son Jesus, in in your Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and that we all call upon you as our Father. Lord, I do ask that you would so graciously speak to us, that you would challenge us, convict us, shape us, Lord, into your people. God, breathe life into us. God, all these things um, that we're praying for, your word says is is what it does. Lord, you equip us to do the work that you're calling us to do and point our eyes to Jesus that we might worship him the way that he deserves. God, speak to us now in this time we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Our passage is is structured really clearly here that we're going to walk through. And it's communicating these really significant things about who Jesus is and how that matters for our lives. And it matters in a big way. So here's what we see in verse 21 and 22. We see Jesus, the Son, identifies with us. In verses 23 through 38, we see Jesus, the second Son. And then we see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus, the true and better Son. So here, let's look. Jesus, the Son, identifies with us in verses 21 and 22, um, where he's baptized. We see this here, that this story about Jesus being baptized, uh, really, guys, you know this probably, it's found in all four gospel accounts. That is very rare and therefore really important for us. Uh, And what's striking, I think, about Luke's account of Jesus' baptism is how short it is. I mean, this whole chapter has been about John, and how he's calling people to be baptized, and all of a sudden, just boom, Jesus is baptized, just kind of out of nowhere, really. It actually says Jesus had been baptized, so we kind of almost missed the whole thing, really. We blinked, we missed it. And so here we see Jesus has been baptized, and he's praying, and the heavens open up. Okay, so transport yourself there in your mind. I mean, the heavens open up. I mean, this would have been amazing to see. And Luke writes that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove in bodily form. So basically, all who were there who saw this looked at the Spirit descending on Jesus and said, oh, it looks like a dove, right? It was was material in a way to their eye. And then this loud voice resounds from the heavens as it opens up, and it says, this is my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased, which this is clearly the voice of God the Father declaring over Jesus the Son his pleasure. This is quite an amazing event, one that we're really familiar with, and we can't miss how incredible this is. 
Uh, J.C. Ryle even helped me this week just kind of think about the gravity of this moment. This is what he said. He said, we see in these verses a remarkable evidence for the doctrine of the Trinity. We have all the three persons of the Godhead spoken of as cooperating and acting at one time. It shows us, this is why it's important, it shows us how mighty and powerful is the agency that is used in the great business of our redemption. It is the common work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three persons in the Godhead are equally concerned about our redemption. It's amazing. And for something so remarkable, why so little detail? I mean, Luke is actually a really detailed, long-winded author, you could say. So why does he just kind of end this happen and move on? Well, honestly, um, it shines a really bright spotlight on the emphasis that he wants us to see. It shines this big emphasis on the declaration of who Jesus is from the heavens being opened up. It basically takes this huge yellow highlighter and scribbles it over the words, this is my beloved son and I am pleased with him. Luke wants us to see that. This is who Jesus is. Why is the father pleased with Jesus? This verse might cause us to pause and question a little bit when we think about verse 21 because last week we saw in verse 3 that John is inviting people into this baptism of repentance, which repentance is where you admit you've done something wrong and you confess your sin and you turn your life back in faith and worship to God. So what has Jesus done wrong? John the Baptist, when Jesus came out to be baptized by him in a different gospel account, uh, felt unworthy and says, Jesus, you should baptize me. Right? Even John's like, what, you know, essentially like, uh, what, why are you being baptized, right? Uh, you don't need to be- repent, Jesus. I mean, what are you repenting of? Being perfect, you know? There's nothing wrong with Jesus. So why in the world is he being baptized? Guys, if Jesus is sinless and had no reason to repent, then why is he being baptized with all the other people that come out to the Jordan are being baptized? That's the emphasis in verse 21. Do you see it? It just plainly says, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus has baptized just there together. Jesus is doing what they're doing. Let's think about this. Just think about this. All these people were convicted of their sin and were realizing they needed a savior. Just let your mind run into that thought process. Every, every person who's been baptized, just like if you were there, just in your baptism, in your profession of faith, is having a specific personal sin probably many sins that they are convicted over. I imagine they're ashamed of, right? Things that cause them to feel dirty, right? Things that they want to bury deep down and, and never want to have rise to the surface and expose other people. Why do I say this? Because nobody repents over generic sin. We don't just, you can't repent of generic sin. What are you repenting from and turning to, right? We, 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 we repent of specific things. So all these people are convicted of their sin, right? They're very aware of it. And it's these people that have been baptized in this river. It's these people, you guys, who who then have the Son of God who existed before the creation of time and space, who stepped out of heavenly glory and took on flesh and is beginning his ministry on earth by what? Stepping foot 
into the same baptismal waters of the Jordan as they have. This river, this baptism, signifies their sinfulness, their fallenness, and their irreconciled relationship with God. Do you see how dramatic this is? What is he doing? He's showing you what he's come to do. He came to identify himself with fallen, sinful humanity. Our holy God has not merely moved towards the broken world. He's identified himself with sinful humanity. Do Do you know that this morning? Do you really know that, that God has come and identifies with you at your worst? At your worst. Whatever sin or dirtiness that you feel over that sin, whatever it is that you feel way too slow in your growth and sanctification in, whatever it is that you bury deep down and hide and don't want anybody to know about, whatever it is that would cause you to step foot into that river, that's where Jesus comes and identifies first with you. It's not at the mountaintop of your best. It's down in the river of your worst. I mean, how unlike Jesus are we, right? How unlike him are we? In my family, we're an affectionate family. We hug and kiss our kids probably hundreds of times a day, okay? And, um, but there are, there are restrictions to that because when my kids maybe are eating a peanut butter and honey sandwich or playing in the mud or something, which there's obviously a lot of that here in Oregon, if they come in and just try to put their hand on my knee or ask for a hug or something, I'm just, I'm going to go on the defense, right? I'm going to do whatever I can and try to get them cleaned up before they actually touch me. You know, like, I don't, I don't want that on me. I'm clean, right? I, I don't want to be sticky with honey, and you don't either when you're clean, do you, right? It's not enjoyable. When we feel clean, we want to keep messes far away from us, don't we? We don't even want to look at it. I mean, just think about the images on your desktop wallpaper or your iPhone or whatever it is, right? It's not a picture of a trash can or, a, you know, a dump somewhere. It's not of a gutter or these kinds of things. It's of something beautiful. It's something clean, isn't it, right? We don't even like to look at messes to make it maybe even more personal or a little deeper in our hearts, right? Many of us, we like to stay away from people or maybe even communities of people that we think will mess up our lives. If we view our lives and we like it the way it is and we view it as a clean, ordered life of sorts, then we will do what we can to keep our distance from anything or anyone that we think will mess with that. I mean, think about this. Are there people that you might even feel superior to? People that you want to keep at a distance? People that you are unable to identify with? Yet in your words, rightfully so, you would even say that you love and care about those people. But guys, here's the thing. If, if we want people to go with us, to join us in heaven, right? Then we can't keep them at a distance on this earth. We can't. We can't. We can't keep them at a distance. Bringing people along with us to heaven and keeping them at a distance from us now Those are mutually exclusive choices. And this is exactly why Jesus gets in the river. It's it's mutually exclusive. He can't be saved if he doesn't get in the river, right? And so for any of us who feel sinful and desperate for a Savior this morning, as we look out over the broken world, we need to see the Son of God come and identify with us, not at the mountaintop of our success, but he identifies with us in the river of our fallenness. 
The second thing we see, though, is that Jesus is the true Son, and this is clarifying. Uh, this is really important. Um, let's read this again. I'm just kidding, actually. I don't know if I could read it again. I got a lot of anxiety reading those names the first time, okay? I mean, who's ever heard of half of these names, okay? Um, but really, uh, we often skip over genealogies, don't we? When we do our Bible reading, we're tempted to do that. Even here, you're probably asking, why in the world did you take the time to do all of that? Are you just trying to show off? Obviously, I'm not showing off. I'm humiliating myself, okay? But, but here's the thing. This is here for a reason. Why does Luke place a genealogy in his gospel, and why here? That's the question. Honestly, guys, it's, it's really helpful to see because he's highlighting this declaration. This is what he's doing. He's highlighting the declaration in verse 22, right? That Jesus is the Son of God. And there's some key statements here, because notice in verse 23, who is Jesus the Son of? It's the only time there's like a caveat. It says, as was supposed of Joseph. What does he mean by that? Well, he's referring, he's kind of giving a tip of the hat, a wink of sorts, you know, like a shout out to the virgin birth that we looked at at Christmas time, right? That Joseph, as was supposed, is his father, but really we know that he was born of the Spirit. And then we have the rest of this genealogy that lists 75 names that traces us through the lives of David and Abraham, who God made covenants with, that these are people in Jesus' heritage line, right? And it ends where? It ends with Adam, who God established his creation covenant with. And what does it call Adam? Who is Adam the son of? He's the son of God. That stands out, doesn't it? Right? This is getting us all on the same page. All of us come from Adam, right? We're, we're part of the humanity, of, of the race that comes from Adam, right? And all of us here realize that Jesus is stepping in, and what is he doing? He's linking up with that chain, but he's breaking it too. I'm not sure if this is interesting to you, um, but it's really important to say the least. I'm not just trying to nerd out in any way on genealogies or something, but this dramatically affects our life and the entire world. Because here's the, here's the main idea. Here's the big point here. Just think of the significance of this word, Son of God. It's really only used to identify three people in the Bible. The first person is Israel, who is referred to as God's son. Look at this in Hosea chapter 11. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bales and burnt offerings to idols. We've already seen right here that Adam is referred to as God's son. And we've also seen how Jesus is foretold to Mary to be great 